Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Warehouse Church. We are so glad that you are in the house today. Uh, Kim and I are on vacation this week, and we'll be back on Friday. Looking forward to next week's service already, where we are going to go through our fall schedule with you for our Wednesday growth groups. Our Wednesday growth groups are going to start September the 4th, the very first Wednesday in September. I hope that you'll plan on being there. There'll be something for everybody on Wednesday nights this fall, starting on September the 4th. We're going to go over that with you next Sunday. Cannot wait to see you then. Anyway, we have a special treat for you today. Uh, We have a guest speaker. His name is Ryan Michaels. Not only does he have the privilege of having two first names as his name, but he pastors uh, Clearborn Community Church in Clearborn, Texas. And uh, Ryan is just a great, great guy. I brought him back for two reasons. Uh, Last year, our church helped him buy all of his mobile church equipment to get their church started with a partnership we have with Granbury Baptist Church in Granbury, Texas, and my dear friend, Lonnie Lehrman. But after we helped Ryan, unprovoked, just because the kind of character and man that this guy is, he brought people from his brand new church plant to our church to help us out with uh, a handful of work days that we had helped us build our stage, helped us tear down some of the insulation. They were here for many of our work days, some evenings and some Saturdays. While he's planning a church, trying to get his feet set in his new community, his church invested in our church. Just amazing. Just kind of speaks to the kind of character he has. And we're so blessed to have him today. So I want you to give him a warm welcome with me as he comes up to the stage this morning. Pastor Ryan Michaels, let's give him a warm round of applause, church. Well, good morning, Warehouse. How are y'all doing this morning? Y'all doing good? Man, y'all are alive and awake and active. Wow, I'm already kind of a messed up personality as it is, but I'm going to feed on your energy, and I might do a backflip off this stage because y'all are so hyped up. Man, I can't do it, but uh, whoa. How far is the nearest hospital? Is it close by? Well, it's an honor to be here. Last time I was here, it was literally like a playground for me. There were metal studs everywhere. There was hole in drywall. There was insulation falling all over the place. I could hit things with a hammer and not worry about it. I mean, I just love that, you know? I'm really not handy, but there's people in our church who are. And every, every workday, I bring like this big axe hammer thing. Just because that's my favorite tool. It's like a demo tool. You just get to hit things with it and smash things with it. And it's a little intimidating and people look at you funny. And I'm like, yes, man. And they don't ever put me on anything important for some reason. You know, they really don't. Like this stage right here, I had nothing to do with it, but people in our church did. And I thought, that's cool. That's cool. They put me somewhere else. I'm not even sure where I was working. Um, but guys, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Um, as Pastor Ed said, we could not have gotten started with the momentum that we got started without the financial support of this church. You guys helped us out so many ways. We got to buy all of our portable equipment. We have a trailer that we unload every Sunday morning full of stuff. And I was talking to um, 
Oh, I think it was, is it Mary Ann? Is that who I was talking to this morning? Yes, okay, cool. I'm great with names. Um, I'll call some of you guys different names this morning, but it's okay. I was talking with her, and she's talking about unloading things in Philly, and they had a box of gloves because they had something called cold ice and stuff up there. We don't have that down here, but a box trailer. We don't have that problem. We just get in there, and it's like, and we had uh, five couples. We had 11 kids under the age of five meeting in my house. Whoa, Lord have mercy. Whoa. So everywhere in my house from about here down had crayons all over the wall. It was fantastic. It was a character. We lived with it for a while. Um, we just painted it just a little while ago. It was there for a solid year. I just looked at it and smiled. It was great. Um, my wife, on the other hand, she's OCD. So every Saturday, we would clean that place like a museum for church on Sunday. Whoa, Lord have mercy. It was fun. But now we, um, we had about 35 people in our home, and then we got the opportunity to start setting up and breaking down in a school. And that's, that's what came like from you guys. We were able to buy stuff and transition out of our home, which was a huge blessing. Thank you, guys. And meeting in a school, setting up, breaking down. And there's a video that I want to show you guys really quickly, a little bit about it. It's about 60 seconds, so hang tight. They're going to play it real quick. And that is what we do every Sunday. Woo, man. So right now, this is my second Sunday in a, in a row being gone, so I haven't done that in two Sundays. Like, it's like a vacation. I just showed up here, did some sound check, and walked up here on stage. I'm like, this is great. Man. Laura at the coffee station back there with her son Gavin was, like, giving coffee to people. They were working hard, and I just sat there watching them. I thought, y'all are doing a great job. Man, you guys, whoo, y'all got a great team here. Any of y'all want to go to Cleburne? Yeah. Is this live? Can Pastor Ed hear me talking to y'all right now? Scratch that. Never mind. <clears throat> My bad. But that's what we do. And, and we start churches. I'm part of Granbury Baptist Church with Lonnie Lehrman. Lonnie led me to the Lord about uh, 2007. Um, I was lost as lost can be. I had my pop collar on. I had my diamond stud earrings in. I thought I was just all that in a bag of chips. I was cool. And then life hit, and I went to college and literally hit rock bottom. And so I go walking in this church, and I hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And it rocked my world. And people there loved me in spite of my pop collar and diamond stud earrings. Can you all believe that? And they loved me. They saw that I needed Jesus. They, they ministered to me. It was so cool. I'll tell you more about that another time. But through that ministry, we have planted five churches in the past 10 years. And God has blessed every one of those. But why do we plant churches? Like, there's enough churches out there, isn't there? Right? Like, there's churches everywhere. Why do we plant churches? Because, because uh, the Southern Baptist did a study, and there's 19 million lost people, people that don't know Jesus, just in the state of Texas. 19 million. And if we think about that, for every one church that started, four churches are closing their doors. Guys, churches are closing doors left and right. If we don't reproduce churches, if four churches continue to close, whether we start churches or not, we're going to be having no churches. And America's in a weird position right now, because we're almost like a post-churched culture, aren't we? Everyone you talk to is like, yeah, I've been to church. I've been to the church. I've heard that story. But it's no longer real to us anymore. Like, we, we don't have that, that life-changing faith in Jesus Christ and that he's a real God in this real world and he's relevant to our real problems. We just don't believe that anymore. We just come in on Sunday and we sing some songs to him and we're like, yeah, that's, that's good enough. Right? That's what church is. That's what God is. He's just in church. 
we're not like being real and genuine about it. So that's why we start churches because of the study that more people are coming to know Jesus Christ through a church start than they are in established churches. Because in a church start, if we don't be outwardly focused and get out there, then we, we won't grow. We can't be inwardly focused as a church start. And we're just so outwardly focused. We want to reach people. And that's what my message is on this morning. We want to do whatever it takes. We want to do whatever it takes to connect with people and tell them about Jesus. That is our vision statement. We want to do whatever it takes to connect with people and tell them about Jesus. And you saw our signs. Our mission is to love God, love people, make disciples. Love God, love people, and make disciples. That's what we want to do. That is our mission. So this morning, if you'll look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 19. Starting in verse 19, um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this to them. He says, look, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant or slave to all that I might win more of them. So Paul is free from all, from everything, everyone, everybody, every anything. He is free. Why is he free? Because Christ set us free, and if he set us free, we are free indeed. Amen. Come on now. Y'all are still with me. Y'all still hyped? I mean, y'all looking forward to that backflip or what? I'll have to take my boots off, but I think I might do it. I'm really kind of getting excited about it. I might do it. I don't know. Is that allowed here? Y'all got good insurance? All right. Back on track. Here we go. So in a real way, if we look at this word servant here, it's the Greek word doulo. The Greek word doulo is an awesome word because it tells ourselves literally make a slave of. Paul made a slave of himself to everyone. He's free from everyone. He's free from everything, but he made himself a slave to everything and everyone. Look at this, this um, word. It's used in multiple different areas here. It, it applies to Israel with the 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Israel made themselves a slave to e uh, Egypt. In the marriage covenant, we make ourselves a slave to one another. Whoa, right? How many marriages represent that? Right? Wives make themselves a slave to the husband. Husbands make themselves a slave to the wife. Right? It's not about you anymore. Right? We make ourselves a slave to God, and we make ourselves a slave to one another. In Titus, it talks about being addicted to wine. You make yourself a slave to wine in Titus 2.3. In the, in the Christian world, and in, in, in righteousness here, with Romans 6.18, it says we make ourselves a slave to God in our new life. So I will make myself a slave or a servant to God, and then I'll make myself a slave to everyone. I am second movement, right? We put everyone ahead of ourselves. This is nothing new. But how does it apply to you personally? Like, what does this look like for you this morning? How are you going to take yourself and make yourself a slave this morning? What are some things that maybe God's put on your heart? Maybe it's simply moving from the seat that you're in to sitting with somebody else to serve them so they're not sitting by themselves. That's easy, right? Maybe it's, it's, it's giving up that parking spot. Every time I go to a church, I try and park as far away from uh, uh, the front door as possible. Y'all have 50 doors here. I don't know which door to park away from. So I park by the dumpster. I'm like, that's got to be the best spot to park. And I'm not even pointing in the right direction because I'm directionally challenged. But it's somewhere out there. 
Because right? I, I want to defer to anyone who needs a front parking spot. Right? I mean, I don't need to have a front parking spot. I have two healthy legs sometimes that like, like to move. And I got a mouth that likes to move. And so I just need to like walk a long ways talking to myself sometimes. Right? But... Well, <laughs> Appreciate you, dude. Oh, Gary and I got to work together yesterday. He's doing a few uh, house projects. Anybody got a few house projects out there? Yeah? So I got to hit a few things and tear up a few things, and then we were doing finish work. And I don't know if you've ever done finish work before, but if you hit drywall when you're trying to finish things with it, it doesn't respond well. And so I broke a few pieces of drywall. It was fun. Um, but anyways, I got to work with Gary, and I talked to him nonstop. Probably wore him out. At some point, he just turned the music on, and it was, it was a little different. But... My wife kind of tells me this saying. Maybe y'all heard it. She says, you can be a young man's slave or an old man's darling. Anyone ever heard that saying before? Did my wife make that one up when, just for a... Man, I'm winning points today. I'm really not a bad husband. I'm not. Because I tell her, I said, baby, I'm the slave in the relationship because I got a to-do list the size of Texas. And our house was a foreclosure two years ago, and it looks a little bit like it did when we bought it two years ago. So I got a list to do there. I love it. It's fun. It's a project. But if we look at this, making a slave of things, Mark 10, tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life a ransom for many. Jesus emptied himself from heaven, the King of kings, the you know, Lord of lords, and glory, and came down to earth and became a slave to us. Why? Right. Why does Paul make himself a slave to all? Why is he telling us to make a slave ourselves? Why did Jesus come to serve and not be served? What was their motive behind this? What, what, what passionately motivates you this morning? Why did you come here this morning? Why, why do you get up early and read your Bible? Why do you get up early and pray for people? Why do you write down names and, and prayer requests? What is your motive behind these things? If we, if we look at our motive, because that's, what, that's what's really motivating us this morning, right? That, that's what keeps us going. Why do we do that? Here it says, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win more of them. Is that your motive this morning? Is that your passion to see lives changed? People who do not know Jesus Christ to coming to the saving knowledge of our Savior Jesus. Is that your motive? Why do I park away? Because I want to have a good um, perception of who I am as a servant, as a pastor, because there's so many bad black eyes out there for the church, for Christians, for pastors. We have a lot of negative, don't we? Oh, the Christians, I don't want nothing to do with them. Oh, that church, they just want me to give money. Oh, that pastor, he's probably just going to insert whatever you want because, man, we've done it all. Hello, pastors are broken, right? I, I need Jesus every day. Guys, I'm just a human being that just happens to be a pastor. I could be at McDonald's flipping burgers, right? And my motive, my passion would be the same. It'd be to see lives changed. Whether I'm a pastor or not, I'm still a broken person in need of Jesus. So Paul states it another way in, in Philippians 3.8. If you guys remember how the Philippian uh, church got started, you know, he went to Philippi. And then he, you know, freed this lady from demonic oppression, Right? And they didn't like that very much because they were making people money. And then they threw them in jail. It was awesome. Well, in jail, they're singing songs, worshiping God. There's an earthquake. right? And the Philippian jailer's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be killed. So he thinks about killing himself. And Paul says, hey, we're all still here, brother. We didn't go anywhere. They made themselves a slave 
to that Philippian jailer and stayed there in that cell. And they got to go home with the Philippian jailer and his whole house came to know Jesus. And that demonic oppressing girl, part of that church, the Philippian jailer, his whole family, part of that church, that's how that church got started. Wow. So here's what he says in, in Philippians 3.8 to the church that he started through prison ministry. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he's not just looking at gaining Christ for himself because Paul is selfless. Paul wants others to come to know Christ and gain Christ. Even though he may have lost everything, it was worth it to gain Christ. This morning, what are you holding on to so tight that it's worth more to you than Christ? What are you holding on to so tight this morning that you don't want to let go of? And it's worth more than your relationship with God. It's worth more to you than other people coming to know Jesus. What is that thing for you? That's a hard question, guys. It's not something that comes to mind easily. But if you were to be threatened in this area, you would really hold tight to it. Like my family, I love them. I love my wife. I love my kids. Do I love them more than I love my Savior? That's a hard one. I put my wife in front of God all the time. That's a dangerous place for me to put her. That's a dangerous place because God's supposed to be number one in my life. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's keep going. I'm getting off track. What can we do to connect with people and tell them about Jesus? He went to jail. Do we need to go to jail? Do we need to start a jail ministry? Anybody willing to go first? No? You're not rule followers. Come on. Half of y'all broke the law on the way here this morning. Right? Come on. I broke the law on the way here this morning. It was not a U-turn, and I got off track, and I turned a U-turn. I love doing that. A U-turn with a no U-turn. That's the best. Oh, there's not a cop in your congregation, is it? All right. Well, it's all good. Appreciate you. Um, so I worked in the jail in Cleburne when we first moved there. I worked as a, uh, as a correctional officer. I worked in the jail. There's 1,000 inmates in, in Johnson County. And so I got to see a little bit on the inside. And thinking about somebody coming in there and starting a ministry, that is a hard spot to start a ministry. And I'm a pastor, and I didn't let them know that um, because, you know, they'll use anything they can. They try and get a one-up on you. But, you know, I'm witnessing to them. I'm telling them about Jesus. And I'm just like, man, this is dark. This is sad. I went home and told my wife, I said, man, it's depressing. Wow, this is, this is a hard place. I, don't, I can't believe, and, and this is a really nice jail compared to what Paul went to, right? But would I be willing to go there and start a ministry and tell people about Jesus? Would I do a jail ministry where I'm not really an inmate, but I can go and visit and tell people and go out? Would I do that? Verse 20 here in, in chapter um, 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, back to our text, verse 20 says, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. What are we willing to do? To those that are, are religious, under the law, right? He's talking about the Pharisees of that time. What about the Pharisees today? What about the ones that we have that are hyper-religious, Right? Maybe a word that we might understand would be legalistic. What can we do to help them understand the freedom that we have in Christ? We don't have that legalism. 
right? We should absolutely be cautious and preventative in our relationship with God to where we're not getting into sin, but we don't need to be legalistic, and we definitely don't need to put restrictions on everybody, right? Because that, that was what the Pharisees were doing. We don't want that. Uh, but what will we be willing to do in this case? Acts chapter 16, verse 3 and 5 talks about what Paul and Timothy did. Paul wanted Timothy to come with him and, and on a trip, and he took him, and he circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who were there in those places. They all knew his father was a Greek. Verse 4 says, and they went on their way through the cities. They delivered them in observance and their decisions that they had been reached for the apostles. And verse 5 it says, so that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. Guys, Timothy was grown and he got circumcised. Any of you men in there, you know, hello? What are you willing to do to reach people? Wow. No, thank you. And then I like how it says, and they went through the city. He just got circumcised, and they're walking through a city. No. That's like the Six Flags rash of all Six Flags rashes. Hello? Man. That's just not healthy. Can we say that in public? Pastor Ed's never going to let me come back. But what are we willing to do? Like, that takes it to a whole new level. Can, can we just be uncomfortable to tell people about Jesus? Can we be inconvenienced to tell people about Jesus? Right? Because in America, with our life that we have, God has blessed us. We have soldiers who fight for our freedom. Thank you. We have police officers who stand in the gap and try to enforce the law to keep us safe. Thank you. We have first responders. If something happens, man, they're coming, busting in to try to help us. Thank you. What would sacrifice look for for us as a Christian? What would it really look like as a Christian sacrifice? Not an inconvenience, not just a little bit of uncomfort, but what would a true sacrifice look like on our part? Because I hate to say it as a pastor, but I don't know if I sacrifice. Right? Parking away and walking a little extra, that's not a sacrifice. Right? Giving 10%, that's not a sacrifice. Going across the room and sitting next to someone who's by themselves, that's not a sacrifice. What would a real sacrifice look like for us? What would stand out to this world saying, you know what? You're willing to get circumcised to come tell me about Jesus? You're willing to go to jail to come tell people about Jesus? You're willing to be separated from your family to tell me about Jesus? Man, what is that? Does that stir inside you a little bit? Does that kind of get something going? Because for me, that motivates me. That's more than a backflip. Man. With, with this kind of conversation, guys, it's more than just winning a debate with somebody, right? It's not apologetics. Because actions speak way louder than words. I can win a debate sometimes, right? But it's not about winning a debate. Any married men in the room, if you win an argument with your wife, do you really win? Right? No, we don't. It's not about winning debates and winning arguments and being right. It's about living right and showing them the right way. Guys, we've got to get real with this. They don't want to see fake Christians. They don't want to see a fake church that all we do is meet, and then that's it. 
I, I heard something about a, a bicycle giveaway, and I saw a room full of bicycles that this church gives away. That's incredible. That is awesome. That's showing real love to people to where they see it, and they believe it, and they feel it. We've got to figure out a way to connect with people and tell them about Jesus. People already think that we're against them. Let's start showing them what we're for, huh? Verse 21, before I get into it, because we're going to start talking about the people that are outside the law. And outside the law can get you in trouble sometimes, right? Now, we're not talking about our laws here in this country. We're talking about the laws of God. And we want to stay as close as we can to following what God says. We don't want to sin, but we want to reach those that are living a life outside of God, outside the law. And that gets a little bit tricky and messy. Because we want to get as close to them as possible without being sinful. And that's hard sometimes. So I want to give you guys a couple tips. If anyone in here is taking notes, I'm going to give you four points really quickly. Four points real quickly. One, I said it earlier, you're in a personal relationship with Jesus. One, you are a person in a personal relationship with Jesus. That's one, you are a person. Two, you are a partner. You are a partner in a personal relationship with your spouse. You are a partner. You've got to keep those in order. One, that personal relationship with God has got to stay first. Two, that personal relationship with your spouse has got to stay second. Three, you are a parent. That's three Ps. We're about ready to do the fourth one. You are a parent in a personal relationship with your children. If you're a grandparent, your job is not to spoil those kids. Right? We don't need spoiled Americans. Come on now. We need Americans that believe in Jesus. So if you're a grandparent, please do everything you can to reach their children and your grandchildren for Jesus. Please instill biblical principles in them. If you have an opportunity to take them somewhere, there's plenty of good things that you can do and have fun and teach them about Jesus. Last one is you are a professional in a personal relationship with people. Let's be professional about reaching people. If you are a professional hamburger flipper, man, do it and reach people. I ate McDonald's this morning. That's why I'm thinking about McDonald's. I ate some health food. Right? But if you're a professional that's working in a field, that is your mission field. And you're there to reach people. And you're going to see people that Pastor Ed, myself, Gary won't see. That's your mission field. Can you do whatever it takes there to tell people about Jesus? Would you be willing to lose your job to tell people about Jesus? Getting personal. Getting personal. In that order, can we keep our priorities straight? Can I tell you a little crazy thing that we do with this point? We have this thing called the wrestling ministry. Anyone watch WWE, The Rock, Goldberg, or Steve? Okay, hello, somebody. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Then y'all are going to get it. Y'all are going to flat get it this morning. We have that, kind of like you have professional baseball in the minor leagues. We have like the minor league WWE. All right? And they're called all kinds of things. APW is Advanced Pro Wrestling. NAW is something, something, something. Anyway, so it has to do with wrestling. These two guys approach us and start talking to us, and they're huge. They're a little intimidating. They're like, hey, man, this is what we do. We're looking for a church. I'm like, sweet. God dropped them in our lap. They do a wrestling ministry to where they have, well, they, it's a wrestling event for them. It's a wrestling ministry to me. They get me in the ring, though, and I get to tell their crowd about Jesus. I get to open their events in prayer and promote our church, and I get to give the gospel. And that was awesome. And then they're like, hey, you want to be part of one of our shows? 
that's the wrong question to ask a guy like me. I'm like, all right. It's like, we're thinking about kind of doing a debut with you and getting you in the ring, and we're going to put a table out in the middle. I had a video of it, but I can't show it because we don't have time. But, man, you go to our church uh, Facebook page, Cleburne Community Church, and you'll see it on there. They picked me up, and they threw me, like, right through this wooden table. It was awesome. It was so cool. It hurt for, like, two weeks, but it was good. And it was a solid wooden table. I asked if they took the metal frame off. Nope, they cut it. Nope, it was real. I thought, okay. So they trained me for like two weeks to take that bump, and man, it was great. I loved it. And there's kind of a switch that happened with those wrestlers. As soon as I went through that table, I was no longer their, the pastor. I became their pastor. And I became one of them. And in the locker room, when I get to pray for the wrestlers... They, I became one of them, and they came up to me last Saturday. I got to go out on a smoke break with somebody. Anybody been around smoke? If you're a smoker in this room, I want you to know something. I used to smoke 10 years ago. To this day, if I smell a cigarette, I want a cigarette. It's a hard thing, guys. I understand. It's hard to break free from that. So I'm out there on a smoke break with this guy, and he's telling me about these things and what's going on in his life, and he's struggling. And I was able to connect with him because of going through a table. And he felt comfortable at that point to be vulnerable with me and be open. Because I wasn't up on a stage with a microphone and a spotlight. I was down there with them in the trenches, one of them. Did I smoke a cigarette? No. Did I have to drink beer with them? No. And I can't do those things because I have an addictive personality. And if I do something, I do it all the way. And so my family, we don't do it. It's a personal goal. It's a personal conviction. I can't do it. Other people, they can do it in moderation. I can't. But can I encourage you to just open up your home? Your home is your biggest asset here on earth. Can we use that biggest asset for the kingdom? Can we open up that home and have people come in? And can they see what a godly family and a Christian family is and what we're about? And can we just build relationships with people and go deeper together and deeper with God? Man, that's a good way. But verse 21 says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. We have got to be intentional about this. Those outside the church, let's be intentional about it. Those inside the church, let's be intentional about it. Everyone needs Jesus. And let's be intentional about telling people about Jesus. I want to look at something really quickly. The parable of the lost sheep um, in, in Luke chapter 15 is one of my favorite because it just talks about the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes to know Jesus. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Verse 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 1. And it says, the tax collectors and sinners, who gave Jesus the most problems? Religious people. Who gives pastors the most problems? Religious people. Christians. Right? Lost people don't bother me. Lost people probably don't bother Pastor Ed. Right? It's people in our churches and Christians saying that we should or shouldn't do things. What happens here? You have tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus to hear about the gospel of God. Right? In one version it says notorious sinners who often came to hear him. But what does it say? It says the Pharisees grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. Yes, he came to seek and to save. That's what is lost. Let's get around lost people. 
fish don't jump in the boat. You got to go fishing. Be fishers of men. And if you go fishing, you're going to start smelling a little fishy. You know what I'm saying? And people are going to look at you different. But it's worth it. Life change. It's worth it. Somebody was telling me last week about going to um, pick up students for church. And he walks into their apartment. Nobody knows he's walking in their apartment to pick them up. And he starts shaking one of the students to wake him up and get him in the car so he can get him to church. And he's like, man, I probably could have been shot. The cops could have been called on me. So you're breaking an entry to get, pick up a kid to take him to church. He's like, yep. I said, okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's y'all's use, Pastor. <clears throat> Right? But he's willing to go to jail to pick up students and bring them to church. That's awesome. You probably wouldn't go to jail. They'd let you off. Is he here today? Yeah. Yes. All right, cool. I didn't mean to embarrass anybody. All right, here we go. <clears throat> so he told this parable of a man who had 100 sheep. If one of them goes, what does he do? He leaves the 99 and go gets the one. Why? Verse 7 says, just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Go after that one. Who is your one? Who is the one person that God puts on your heart right this second? The Holy Spirit's going to reveal him to you. Who is that person? This morning, you know the name. You know that person. You know what they're doing, and you have relation with them, and you know their life story. You know they're hurting, and you know they're in need of Jesus. Who are they? Write their name down and pray for them. Let's see that person come to know Jesus, and let's have a party for it. The lost coin, somebody maybe had knocked this coin off and, 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 and somebody maybe hurt this person. Maybe this was a Christian who got hurt by the church. Either way, the lost coin is a representation of something that's not in its place. A woman says she had 10 silver coins. She lost one. What does she do? She lights the place. She sweeps the house. She looks diligently for it until she finds it. And when she found it, she called together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Guys, how, how valuable is a lost soul? When I was 19 years old, I can tell you what it meant to me to have people share with me and love me and tell me about Jesus. It changed my life. I went from accepting Christ in April to at Bible college in August. That's four months. God did not completely change me in four months. I don't know if you know how that works, right? It's a slow process, right? I wasn't exactly exemplifying Jesus in four months when I went to that Bible college, and I got in a lot of trouble at that Bible college. They had a lot of rules. I'm not a rule follower. So, all right, back to it. The prodigal son. Y'all know the story of the prodigal son. He lives a loose life of living and partying until all the money is gone. And he's financially broken. He's emotionally broken. He's relationally broken. Physically, he just wants food and shelter. And he returns home to his dad. His father forgives him and celebrates with his son. Did that father lecture him on what he had done? Do we need to lecture people on what they're doing wrong? They know it. What did he do? He came there and he said he was sorry. He forgave him and he threw a party. Man, let's start throwing parties for people. I mean, come on. Like, what are you doing throwing a party for me? I just messed you up. I, I, I spent all your money. I hurt you. I wronged you. You're forgiving me and throwing a party for me? What in the world? That's real. And that says something louder than we could ever say right here, right now we got to live it out. Verse 22 says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means 
I might save some. Guys, we want to see lives changed. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see them saved. We've got to see four baptisms and four salvations at our church in one year. It's been incredible. God is moving, and he's using us, and I'm a knucklehead, and you can probably see that I'm a knucklehead, so you know it's all the glory to God because it can't be me. I don't save people. Jesus saves them. And it's been incredible. I'm coming out of the church. I'm in the truck. We got the trailer loaded. I get a phone call on my cell phone. It's, it's a young lady named Tiffany from the wrestling ministry. She calls me up and says, hey, I was at church, not our church. I was at church, and I, I just felt like I don't even know. I just started crying. All I could think about was, oh, I needed God. I'm like, amen. That's great. What church do you go to? I want to go to it. You know. And I'm talking to her. I'm like, I love that you're in church. You don't have to come to our church. God works everywhere. Right? And she's like, I don't even know what questions to ask right now. I said, has anyone ever told you the gospel of Jesus? She said, no. I said, let me tell you what God did for you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And he did that because you're not perfect. Do you believe that you're not perfect? Absolutely. We call that sin. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sins. On that phone, in the parking lot, after our church service, I got to lead her to the Lord. And her life was changed. Now, not all the time are you going to have lost people calling your phone to accept Christ. That's only happened one time. It was awesome, though. But to the weak, we became weak. Guys, there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to be weak. You're going to be broken. You're going to be addicted to something, and you're going to need help. Can we become weak to those that are weak? Can we meet people where they're at? They might not look like us. They might not look all Christian. But can we become weak to them? Why? By all means that we might save some. Can we do whatever it takes to connect with people and tell them about Jesus? Lastly here, as we look at verse 23, it says, Let's do it all for the sake of the gospel. Let's do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. Guys, we want to share in that blessing. We want to do it for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did the hard work. We just got to tell people about it. He did all the work. We just have to tell people about it. Can we do that? I want to share this last story here as we get ready to close. And I want you guys to think about this statement. A high view of God's mission calls for death-defying devotion to that mission. A high view of God's mission calls for death-defying devotion to that mission. I'm going to read a story of a Romanian pastor named Jeff Thiessen. It's a story on uh, To Every Tribe's website. There's a time that he was being interrogated back when Romanian was a communist. And he said to one of them, what is taking place here? As he's being interrogated by six men. What is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between my God and me. My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I don't know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sir that you will not do to me what God doesn't allow you to do to me. You won't go any further than that because you are only an instrument of my God. Every day I saw those six pompous men as nothing more than my father's puppets. Teasing again, during an earlier interrogation, I had told an officer who was threatening to kill me, Sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons are on tape and have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood 
Everyone will know that I died for preaching, and everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen again to what this man has preached, because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before, and I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. After I had said that, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine said, We know that Mr. Thiessen would love to be martyred, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remember how for many years I had been afraid of dying, and I kept a low profile because I wanted so badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity, but now that I have placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel... They were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in this country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I would lose it. But now that I was willing to lose my life, I had found it. Guys, that's an incredible perspective of a pastor who lived in a death-defying mission to tell people about Jesus. What can we do here? Can we be willing to risk our lives to tell people about Jesus? And when I say risk our lives, that might not be you dying. That might be risking our lives of comfort. That might be going ahead and saying, you know what, this life of luxury, I'm going to kick it down one notch so I can sacrifice and tell more people. Because of you guys and your generosity at this church, we were able to start with so much momentum and so much setup and materials that we could put on a, a great, great service. And when people came in there, There was no distractions because we were able to make it look the way it needed to look. Because guess what? Lost people care about what it looks like. I don't. You probably don't. But lost people do. And they kept coming and they kept hearing about the gospel of Jesus. So thank you for giving. Thank you for being generous to our church and helping us get started. Thank you for being a part of what's going on in Cleburne. That we can do whatever it takes because you support us. We can do whatever it takes to tell people about Jesus. This morning, what are you willing to do? What's your mission field? I have no more notes. I just want to ask you that question. I'm closing down. We're going to leave and go all of our separate ways and life's going to be crazy. What are you willing to do to connect with people and tell them about Jesus? Who is that one person that the Holy Spirit put on your life? What are some things that you need to do to tell people? I don't know what they are. Only you do. That's your mission field. Are you willing to do it? What's holding you back? I'm going to pray for you guys, and I'm going to hand it over. But right now, will you just calm your hearts? Will you focus on what it is that God wants you to do? Father, we love you. I thank you for this opportunity to speak to such a wonderful church. I thank you for Warehouse Church and what you're doing here. I thank you for Pastor Ed and his leadership here, Father, as you're just leading him as he leads this church. Father, please continue to bless the work here. Father, may this church continue to do whatever it takes to win people. Father, for the people that are, that are sitting in this room this morning that have somebody on their mind, will you please make an opportunity for them to tell them about your son, Jesus? Will you please help them to seize that opportunity, to take advantage of that opportunity that you give them and tell them. Father, may you work it out to where we know that it's your hand and it's not us, but it's all you that you're working in our lives. We want to be obedient to you. We want to follow you no matter what. So Father, please use us in a way we can't take credit for. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Thank you, guys.